Welcome to Beyond Exosomes Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Petralis, and we are so delighted here to not only be taping our fourth episode, but having on a great guest for our fourth episode. Um, you know, in, in my opinion, one of the best girls lacrosse coaches at the high school level in the state of Massachusetts, and I would even argue maybe one of the best lacrosse coaches, period, boys or girls, in the state of Massachusetts at the high school level. Um, coached at Mefford High School, started the program there in 98, was there till 2016, and, you know, after that, you know, jumped over to Melrose High School, took over, you know, a powerhouse program, leaving a powerhouse program that he built, and uh, someone who I just think can add a lot of knowledge to young coaches out there you know coaches have been doing it for a while and you know listening to your coach speak will really inspire you and 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 I think Matt has a great story to tell and I'm really excited to have him on our guest is uh, Matt Galusi. Anthony your words are far too kind Um, thank you so much thank you for doing this I think this is great you're giving coaches a voice you know to tell our story and and that's huge Um, and and that introduction the you can be my hype man any day of the week, man. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, the proof's in the pudding. You know, you you went on a six-year run at Medford High School that you guys won back-to-back-to-back all the way up to six uh, GBL championships. You, um, you know, as a Melrose head coach currently right now, have two league championships in the Middlesex, and I don't care what high school sport it is, playing in the Middlesex Conference is is tough, period. Um, so that, that's an accomplishment itself. So the accolades speak for themselves, Matt, and, you know, we'll just jump right into it. How'd you get started coaching girls lacrosse? You know, I, I'm sure, you know, you jump in the want to jump in the coaching and girls lacrosse maybe wasn't the first thing that, you know, popped up. So talk a little bit about your journey into high school coaching. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of an interesting story. Um, it was like 98, um, and I was, I just started teaching in Somerville and um, I wa- I knew I wanted to get in coaching, you know, I haven't played in high school, I haven't played a little in college. I-, I wanted to be around the game and I saw that the Medford High School boys lacrosse job was open. It was posted. So I was like, oh, this is great. You know, former captain of that team. I played there in high school, uh, you know, graduated there. Obviously I, I want to go back and coach that team. So I got in touch with the AD, Buddy Kelly at the time. And he's like, oh, great, come in. So I'm, I'm like, this is, this is too easy. This is great. Come <laughs> into the office. going to give me the job. So I get into his office like the next day or two days later, whatever it was. And, and he's like, uh, okay, so I got good news and I got bad news. And you know, buddy, he was very matter of fact. And it's okay, bud, give, give me the bad news first. Because the bad news is you're not getting the boys coaching job. So I'm like, what could possibly be the good news? Like, I'm not getting the boys coaching job. He goes, no, I actually just filled it yesterday. I was like, oh, great. He said, but the good news is we're starting a girls team and you and George Amadeo are going to be the head coach. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> I said, how, how is that possibly good news? He's like, oh, it's great. You know, it's a new program. You can build it however you want. You can do whatever you want with it. It's going to be great. He said, and besides, I don't think this guy I hired is going to be here in two years. So then you'll just transition over and you'll take over the boys team then. Wow. So I was like, uh, okay, I guess, you know, I'll, I'll do it. Big difference. Boys so, and girls across. so obviously, I mean, listen, you jump into a program that in this area, 1998, I mean, I'm in high school, right? Girls lacrosse is not very popular in this area um, of the state. Anyways, we're just in new England in general. 
how do you start a program like that? I can't imagine that you have everything you need. I mean, how underfunded of a, of a program did you have starting out as, you know, a brand new program at the high school? So we were, to use like an 80s movie analogy, we were the bad news bears of women's lacrosse. Like our uniforms were the old Medford High School field hockey uniforms. They were like this this green and yellow and blue plaid skirt and these like like polo, like collared polo, this thick, heavy cotton shirt with the numbers on them. The uniforms are terrible. Uh, our field space was down at, at Playstead. It was never lined properly. I had to go and buy a field liner myself just to, you know, line it properly. Um, we, we were just getting all the girls that were cut from spring sports because nobody really thing about it. Uh, you know, we joked, we called ourselves Island. And the, the thinking was, we'll take anybody. You know, you come to us and you're in. Um, we weren't cutting anybody. We were just doing whatever we could to field enough kids so that we could play games. So we had enough players on the field. Um, and I guess I kind of like looking back on it, you don't know what you don't know. So I'm sure there was probably a lot more that we needed, but our head was kind of spinning, like learning the rules. Girls lacrosse has evolved so much. When we first took over the job, the, you think of girls lacrosse today and now you play, you know, attack, defense, midfield, or goalie. Very similar to the boys in the terminology. But back when we took it over, you could be a center, you could be a left attack wing, a right attack wing, a left defense wing, a right defense wing. Then on defense, we had positions called point, cover point, and third man. And then on offense, attack, you had first home, second home, and third home. And you could only send seven on seven into the attacking zone, but you had five players so you always had like two players like, oh, no, you go in. No, I'm going in. No, you go in. And it just it, – it was a cluster of epic proportions. You know, we don't know the rules. We don't have the right equipment. We don't know what we're doing. Um, and to some degree it showed. But, like, looking back on it, one of the best decisions ever made in my life. And that's great. You, you are breaking up a little bit, you know, but I got everything in there. So just to give you a heads up on that a little bit. Um, okay. But yeah, it, it, it's amazing. I think, you know, hearing of you starting a program, how, were, how old were you, Matt? How old were you when you started uh, that? So I was born in 74, so I was like 24, 25 years old. Yeah, so starting a brand new program, mid-20s, you know, underfunded, um, and, and you're getting Under people. everything. Yeah, <laughs> you're getting people to come in and play. I mean, at this point, your number one you know, job is probably recruiting, recruiting, recruiting in the sense of just getting bodies, not necessarily skill set or anything like that, but trying to maybe cherry pick from other sports, some good athletes, or just trying to get people to come out and play in general. So obviously you must've had a rough first three years of just trying to build your program. What was the biggest adjustment for you? Because here you are, you're coming in for the, the boys lacrosse coach job, right? And you are, you know, you're ready to take over boys program and be gung ho. And now it's, you're taking over a girls program that there's not a lot of girls who understand how to play the game and know the rules of the game and what to do. So how did you kind of have to adjust or was it something that you just had to keep adjusting on the fly as the year and the games went on and on and on? Yes. Uh, I mean, every day was an adventure. Um, you never knew what you were going to get. Um, like you said, we were, we were learning 
as the players were learning, like we were learning the game together. Um, and at the time, this is when girls could definitely couldn't have a mesh stick. Uh, they really couldn't have any pocket at all in this stick. The sticks were like tennis rackets. Um, it was just, it was so hard. The skill set was so different. There's like no physicality. I remember, you know, when you're a boy and you talk round balls, you always do something called, you know, man ball. So if it's two on one, one person's going to go wipe out the man and the other person's going to get the ball. And, and, you know, here's George and I teaching them to do like round ball drills and kind of getting, you know, demonstrating and whatnot and getting a little physical. And they're like, you can't do that. And I was like, what are you talking about? Of course you can. Uh, no, they were right. You can't do that. There's lots <laughs> of things you can't do. And here I am teaching them the wrong way at first. So it was, it was a major, major learning curve um, to really like learn the girl's game and understand the girl's game and, and the nuances and skill and strategy and positioning, uh, offensive sets, defensive sets. Like I was completely treading water for two years. And the crazy thing is the end of that second year, the boys job comes open and buddy says to me, do you want to coach the boys team? And I think he was shocked when I said to him, no, I want to stick with this girl's thing. Like I'm having fun. Um, we've got a good group of girls. We're learning, we're building something, you know, we're starting from the ground up and we really get to put our stamp on it. So I think he was a little taken back by it. He, he couldn't understand why I would, wouldn't want to leave, you know, that situation. But I took it as this tremendous challenge. And I was like, bring it on. Let's, let's do this. This is going to be great. That's awesome. That's great. It, you know, and that starts the journey for you, really. I mean, of everything you've done accomplished there for after. I mean, it's a great decision looking back on it and saying to yourself, wow, I'm really glad I made this decision to stick with this because, you know, you've now had a great career, which we're going to be talking about. Um, and I can hear everything you're saying. Your video is just a little shaky, but we are good. I can hear everything. Just kind of giving you the play-by-play -play here. Um, just so you know, like you've given some great stuff. So I, I don't want you to, I don't want anyone to miss any of it. So I know, I know after, I think it was the 2000 or 2001 season, you look to kind of really further your education as far as your career went, you know, and, and maybe went back to school and, you know, we're really trying to get into upper education. I know coaching, I did the same thing. It was really hard to be a coordinator and getting your master's every Tuesday night in the fall that happened twice. So I understand it's a commitment and getting your higher education is really important, but you came back in 04. Um, and it's a great story of actually how you got in, back into the job. And I'll let you tell it. Um, but you got back into this program in 04 and walk us through what was different this time around. Sure. So um, 04 rolls around and I was teaching in Somerville and I, and I was loving it. I was in a brand new building. Um, well, one of the buildings, I was in a lot of buildings, but my home base was a brand new building, the Kennedy school. It was great. Everything was going great. And then um, I somehow got in touch with Roy Belson, superintendent of schools in Medford at the time. And he said, there may be a phys ed opening. You know, I think you should apply for it. And at first I was like, ah, you know, I don't know if I want to leave someone. But then I was like, well, wait, no, this is really cool. You know, I get to come back to the school system that, that I went through. Right. Uh, well, at least high school wise, um, I was a Catholic school kid, sorry, <laughs> not for kindergarten, first grade, I went to Herbie, but then I went to Catholic school. Um, so I got to come back and then he, you know, when I go in to meet with him and, and to discuss whatever on the job, he tells me, Oh, and by the way, that girls across team, you know, that you founded back in the day, uh, that job's open. And if you take this job, we'd like you to take that coaching job. 
two so I, I left there and I was like, that's a no brainer for me. This is, you know, I had been jonesing to get back into lacrosse in some way, shape or form. Uh, you get a couple of years away from it and it, it really starts to affect you. So I didn't hesitate. I really didn't ponder that situation too much. I gave my two weeks in Somerville. Um, and then January of 04, I was at Medford High School teaching and getting ready to resume my coaching job, uh, you know, to jump back into the journey that I had started six years prior. Yeah, and I think that's really cool. And obviously through the years, too, of just going through higher education and teaching and, and just learning, there's so much that you grow as a person, too. So you walk back into this program and, you know, now you're at your second stint. You built this program up. Now you're here to kind of take it to that next level. And talk to me about what was different this time around versus, say, your first stint of coaching. Sure. So this time around um... – there were definitely players who, who knew the game, who could play the game, who had skill. You know, not the whole team, but there was a core group of girls. There was four junior captains in place when I took back on the team. Um, and I honored the fact that they were elected captain, you know, the year before. Uh, and it was a great decision that I made because they were four of, like, the finest girls I've ever coached. Not just players, like, tremendous human beings. Um, and their leadership was great. So now I had two years of them with leadership, you know, their junior year and their senior year. And I kind of leaned on them a lot because I'm, you know, new back in town, don't know a lot of the players in this game, don't know a lot of the kids on this team, just try to find my way in this new situation again. And to have them as a common presence was huge. And they really helped me a lot. A lot. And it didn't hurt that, you know, all four of them were, were very good uh, lacrosse players. So th that kind of helped. And that's great. I mean, always kind of walking into some players who, who can play, you know, and on top of it, they're great people. And on top of that, they're pretty good at the sport too. It's just, it's nice to have that as your culture. Um, but I know a big part of you coaching, you know, the second time around in Medford was that you got very heavily invested in the youth programs. And for any coach that's listening out there in general, but even specifically, um, you know, young coaches, Talk about how important you investing the time and the effort you did in the youth programs helped you during your run from, you know, when you started your second stint until when you ended it. Sure. Um, any coach out there understands the, the value and the importance of a solid feeder program, a youth program. And, you know, I got involved. I actually used to coach boys youth in Medford. Um, and then started helping out on the girl side. And then once I was coaching at the high school level, really starting to get involved so that they understood our terminology, that they understood the way we do things. I would meet with the coaches and say, can you teach them this? Can you teach them, you know, this formation? I want them clearing the ball like this. This is, this is a term that we're going to use. I'd like them to know it. Um, so now you get those kids in high school and it's not like 98 where I'm teaching a girl on the first day of tryouts, how to throw and catch. Now we can legitimately have a tryout and you can pick, you know, a varsity and a JV team. And we didn't cut kids in Medford for, for a while. Um, but then once we started having success and started really building the program and, it, and it's a terrible thing to do. I hate, it's the worst part 
of a job. Any coach will tell you that if they coach a cut sport. It's, for lack of a better term, it sucks. Um, but it's a testament to your program that you're in the position that you can dismiss kids from the program because, you know, they're just not at the level where they need to be. Um, but, yeah, getting involved in that in that youth, that, that helps so much. It just you're, you're grooming your future athletes and you hope that they stay in town. I used to always tell the parents at youth when I'd be there practicing at games, they'd be like, oh, coach, they look good, they look this, whatever. And I'd say, listen, every one of you, I appreciate it, I love it, but you better promise me you're sending your kid to Medford High School because if I find out she's going to A.C. whatever, I'm like, it might be smart. Yeah, yeah. You always got to hit them with that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the last thing, you know, especially when you run good youth programs um, that, you know, you don't lose kids to other schools. And, and I've always benefited from it, coaching at a Catholic school of kind of getting some pretty good athletes from different cities and towns that they're probably bummed out for losing. So I totally get what you mean by that. You did lag out at the end a little bit, but I did get the message in, which, which was great. So you know, and I think you underplayed a little bit in the sense of your efforts, right? Because every coach knows that, but investing the time into it and actually going to these practices and meeting with coaches and working with them, that's the other big step of a feeder program really working, right? Because it's great to be like, oh, we have a feeder program, but if those coaches aren't involved with the youth coaches, it, it's, yep. it, it may not be as helpful as you would hope it would be. So it's great that you invested all that time into it. So when did you start seeing the turn, Matt? When did you start seeing, okay, I'm investing in the youth programs. I started out with a pretty good team with some pretty good players and good leadership. When did you see maybe the program starting to take that next step into maybe being league contenders and champions or making the state tournament or even maybe making a run in the state tournament? Sure. Um... You know, when I got back in 04, we were winning games, um, not as many as I would have liked, but we weren't losing every game. And the games we were losing, it was more competitive. I'd say 06, 07, um, something started happening. And then by 2010, I think we had really gotten the program to, you know, a pretty good place. Um we had a year in there. Those years, those Memphis years are a blur, but we had a year in there. We went 16 and four, um, which was just unheard of. Um, you know, we were winning games. We were having success. We were making the tournament. We had a long run where we qualified and made the tournament. And that's a nice thing too. You start making the tournament. Now other coaches don't view your program as a joke anymore. And the way we used to do tournament seeding up until um, this last tournament, we used to always power seed. So to schedule a team that was a tournament team or a team that you knew was going to make the tournament, even if you lost to them, you still would get a higher ranking and it was better for your, you know, overall strength of schedule and your overall tournament potential ranking. So now I had coaches of, you know, good programs reaching out to me and saying, Hey, do you want to play? And, and a couple of them, I'm like, are you serious? And they'd be like, no, like, we see what you've been doing there. We think it'll be a good game. We, you know, we should totally play. And, and through that, the nice thing was that helped me develop friendships. I have, you know, coaches that I'm friends with now. The lacrosse community itself, we are a tight-knit group um, on the men's side or the women's side. Anyone on lacrosse will tell you that. 
but I definitely have coaches that just from that simple phone call, that simple email, it's blossomed into more. And now you see them around. And it was funny because when I was big in, you know, youth league in Melrose, uh, you would see a lot of those same coaches and they're still coaching and I'm still coaching. We might have different colors on, but you're always like, yeah, I see you. I know what you're doing over there. So it is good. I mean, it's just the lacrosse community in general is it's great. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and let's talk about the other aspect of this, right? A couple of weeks ago, we had the head football coach of KIPP Academy on Jimmy Rabbit, and he built a football program from scratch. And, you know, within three years, you know, they're, you know, division A powerhouse, a game away from the Super Bowl, it has a real good team coming back and building a program is, you know, it costs money. But you're starting to win, yeah. Matt. You're starting to make the state tournament. You're going 16 and four. Your program is starting to take steps as becoming a program in the school that is maybe arguably the most successful at that period of time. Um, talk about the relationship with your athletic director. I mean, I know him personally. I love him. He's an amazing yeah. guy. Um, but talk about yeah. uh, your relationship with your athletic director to help you tell him, hey, you know, we're growing here. I need to invest more in this program. I need more field time. I might need this. Talk about how important that relationship was for you. Sure. Um, working for Bob Maloney was, you know, it was a dream. I always remind him he was my high school freshman basketball coach. Um, <laughs> but he was the one of the best ADs, you know, that I've ever had the chance to, to coach for. Anything I wanted, Bobby would get me. I remember we were at the point when I was like, these uniforms are no good. I said, Bob, we got to get, you know, new, new uniforms. We got to look good, play good. And he's like, let's do it. Absolutely. And, and like, not even hesitating, like getting the girls new uniforms and equipment. How's your goalie? Does she need stuff? You need extra field time. What do you need? Do you want to get them in? You know, can you get like a, like a parent or someone else to get them in, you know, off season conditioning wise, all the little things that you need to do to build a successful program. And, and Bobby was there every step of the way. And the thing that like amazed me, Bob, you'd see him in every game, every game at the high school, I would always see Bob, but I never realized he would be at a lot of our away games, even if it was just for a little, because he would pull me in his office. And, and that's the nice thing about working in the high school. And that was a huge, huge benefit too teaching in the building where you coach you see the kids in class you see them day in and day out there's never any fires that you're putting out because you find out right away this girl's about to get suspended or this girl's in trouble and you can go and try to you know help remedy any situation you can um, there's nothing worse than stepping into a school from your job at another school and then you find out your best player got suspended but um as far as bob goes I just remember popping in his office one day. We had an away game, and it was a good game, and we won. And he's like, wow, that, that Jill Winnett kid, she, what, she dropped like five yesterday? I was like, were you there? He's like, yeah, I was there for a little bit. You know, and, and to hear that as a coach, to know that you're valued and you're appreciated and that your AD takes time out of his day when he has a million games he has to go to, and that's the thing with Bob. He finds time. He gets to everything. Like, he is a great AD in that regard. So I couldn't be happier working for him. Um, I see him every day now at work. I love just popping in his office, even to this day and talking. And the nice thing with Bob, he embraces a lot of the characteristics that we embrace as the lacrosse team with the family element. My daughter's one time made him this like uh, craft, like wooden, like lighthouse. And they painted it like the Irish flag. If 
you walk in his office, it's on the shelf behind his desk to this day. My kids are 17 and 15. So, I mean, that, that's kind of cool that, you know, he gets it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's great. I mean, and, and I asked that question because every guest that we've had on, they, every single one of them talk about, you know, the growth of their program or the success of their program. And they mention their athletic directors, you know, so I just feel it's such an important element of head coaching and how much athletic directors also put into their programs to, to help programs grow and get them to that next level. So we hit 2010. That's when you kind of hit the ground running. And from then to 2015, you won consecutive GBL championships and you only lost one league game within that span. So that's pretty impressive. Now you're, you're, you're really, um, um, you know, established the program here, but I do, I do got to ask you a question. How was yep. the game that you lost? Was it a home game or an away game? It was an away game. So can Cambridge. I just, yes. How was that bus ride? It is still something <laughs> to this day to talk about. It just makes me like, Ugh. we always had our way with Cambridge. You know, they got a new coach in there. Um, she's doing a great job and it was one of our first years. But the night before that game, we had a night game at Hormel. Uh, and we played Belmont, and it got chippy. And one of my best players, my captain, actually, Jamie Travers, stupidly took a, a very aggressive two-handed check against a girl and did not hit the stick, connected with her body, got a red card. Girls across, you get red card. You're gone for that game and the next game. And it just so happened that the next day was that Cambridge game, so Jamie couldn't play. Someone else was sick. We were down a few players. I'm not making any excuses because Cambridge earned that game. They took it to us. But to lose that game and then we walk off that field and we get on that bus and I didn't even have to say a word. They knew what had just happened. Um, and, you know, to some degree that was their legacy. They are the team that, that lost. They broke that streak and lost that GBL game. Um, that bus ride from Danahe Park to Medford High School was silence. I have never been on a bus that quiet in my life. Nobody, even like the JV girls, the younger girls, the JV won. JV like blew out Cambridge in the varsity we lost. And it was, it was like being in church. It was so <laughs> quiet. It was eerie. And, and then, you know, we just got off the bus, kind of looked at each other. And then I just remember the next day, uh, I think we took a team ball. We took a ball from – it wasn't really the ball from that game, but we said it was. We went up on the back, way back in the field, on the grass part. We dug a hole. We buried that ball. We covered it over. We said, that's it. We'll never talk about this again. But we'll also never forget that this happened. Right. And I think, you know – here, here's, I guess, like the silver lining to that is you think of your program in 98, here you are getting destroyed game after game after game. And the kids at that time didn't probably understand, like you lose 20, nothing and your bus ride home and you're giggling and laughing. Like as a coach that drives you insane starting that. Crazy. But for yep. those girls to be silent and for those girls not to complain or say anything on the bus and everybody just being on the same page, like, that's a winning program, Matt. Like that's a program that yeah. just expects the highest of themselves. And when they don't achieve that, they understand that they field in doing so or field at that time or field in that game and, and being able to let it go and move on. That's 
a sign of a winning program that you built there. So the silver lining is, yes, it's obviously it's a tough bus ride home and a tough loss to have. But your girls, they understand what the program's about and they have expectations for themselves. And from right. that point to when you started, I mean, that's a huge change in your program. And that's a winning culture and a winning attitude that is going to win at any level when you have someone leading them like that. So that's a huge testament to you as well. Um, so obviously you, you had great success in Medford and you built the program, you came back to a program, you know, you, you really invested in a youth program that became probably just as strong as your high school program at that point, because you're attracting girls to want to play in a sport that's very successful at the high school level. Um, but an opportunity pops up from you for you in Melrose. Now, you know, you live in Melrose, um, you know, you you own a home in Melrose, you have family in Melrose, your kids go to Melrose schools. So talk about, you know, this job popping up and, and kind of making that decision to jump from a program that's, you know, your baby for all intents and purposes to jumping to a brand new program that you have a lot of familiarity with but also um, have the opportunity to do something special there. And we'll let you talk about it a little bit. Oh, I think we lost you for a second. I'm not sure if you can hear the audio. You, you broke up a little, but I think I get the gist. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay. All right, good. We're good to go. We are good to go, man. Okay. So, yeah, but I basically was asking you, Matt, talking about your decision to jump from Mefford to Melrose and, and what was sure. your decision making behind that? Yeah, so, you know, at the time <clears throat> I was coaching uh, a couple teams in Melrose Youth because my daughters are on different levels. And then I ended up on the board of directors of Melrose Youth. Um, and then I ended up being the girls program director of Melrose youth and all along, uh, developing these friendships with these parents, parents of kids that were going into high school, parents of kids that were playing in the high school and expressing my interest that this is a great program. And if the opportunity ever comes up, um, I would seriously consider it because I would love to have the opportunity to coach my own kids in high school. Great. Plus I know this is going to be a winning program. Well, wouldn't you know it, the opportunity comes up. I remember I, I had an interview. Uh, it was a little intimidating because new athletic director who I don't know, high school principal who I don't know, two or three parents, you know, people from the community <clears throat> and, and they put me through a pretty good interview. It was about an hour and a half um, asking me questions that I, I didn't expect in a, in a, sport coaching interview, which I, I appreciate, um, different philosophical things, but then also just like getting at the root of, of, you know, what I do. And I think me being a teacher, you know, that is the craft I've chosen to, to be my career. I think that came through because at the end of the day, I think every good coach is a teacher. If you're a successful coach, you're a teacher, 100%. you're teaching, you know, Anybody, you can give anybody a team of all-stars and they can just stand there and hold a clipboard and look good and, and, you know, win games. I want the guy who the team gets blown out and they're able to, or the woman, I shouldn't be gender specific. Uh, your team gets blown out and, and they're able to 
to rally the team the next day and, and bounce back and learn from it. And, you know, I was able to kind of echo a lot of that sentiment in the interview. And well, long story short, I remember getting the phone call from Steve Fogarty, the AD. Um, and he was like, Hey man, if you want it, you got this job, you know, you, you blew everyone away in the interview. And I didn't even think I hesitated. I was like, absolutely. You know, cause I, I came into it. I had a tremendous facility in Medford. Um, Pre-turf, not so much, but once, you know, once Edgerly Field got turfed, uh, that's that's the Cadillac of fields. And it is the one thing that I, I do miss and kind of I took for granted. Now in Melrose, we get Fred Greenfield, which is the football field, but I get that for an hour and a half to two hours, and then the boys get it for an hour and a half to two hours. And depending upon if I'm the early slot or the late slot, if I'm the early slot, it's everything I can do to get out of Medford High, to fly over to Melrose, you know, put my stuff in the office and get on the field for practice without, you know, being late. And it was always nice in Medford. You get the field from 2.30 to 6.30 and you can do anything you want to do and it's your own field. But, you know, it's all these these little learning curves. Um, yeah. The youth program in Melrose is is very strong. Even, excuse me, even to this day, when I took over uh, the high school, and lead my years or two leading up to taking over Melrose High, we were fielding two and three teams at every level. So U9, U11, U13, U15. So you're talking 100, 150 girls in town playing lacrosse from when they're in kindergarten. And a majority of people in this town stay in town and send their kids to public school. So now I know I have this incredibly deep pool of talent coming up. And even if you're not a superstar, you know, I had some serious role players and it was a tremendous benefit to me because I coached so many of these kids for years. My current seniors, I coached my current seniors in youth six, seven years. You know, I know these kids inside out and backwards. I know their strengths, their, their limitations. They know my coaching style. So in that regard, when that job opportunity was offered, I, I had to take it. And it was tough to leave Medford. Um, a piece of my heart's always going to be in Medford. I teach a um, restraint training for the district city of Medford. And I just trained a girl and we just started talking during one of the breaks. And she said, you know, she hurt her shoulder playing college lacrosse. And I was like, Oh, you ever think about coaching? And she's like, Oh yeah, yeah. I'm going to be coaching in Medford. And I was like, Whoa, you better treat that, treat that program. Right. <laughs> she's like, why do you care? I'm like, that's my baby. And she had no clue. I'm like, I founded that team, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, wow. I was like, so knowing that, you know, between her and the head coach in Medford now, this girl, Megan Olson, um, she was a collegiate player. She played at Matinon. I think her dad's still there. Dad was a great guy. I remember coaching against them. I know the program's in good hands, so I, I'm happy in that regard. But, you know, you never forget where you came from. And, and Every course, it was time for me to leave um, that I did, but I'll always like have fun memories and I always look back, you know, on yeah. with a, a little heavy heart when I see yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. And you broke up a little bit there, but I, I, we, we got what you said. So, you know, I think that what's, what's great about it is, is now here you are at a program that you've had your footprint in for such a long time. I mean, 
you were working there in the youth program and you kept moving up the ladder, moving up the ladder. And obviously you're involved because of your daughters and you know, you know, a lot of different people. So talk about how you hit the ground running at Melrose because it's much different than where you were in 98 to take over a program that's well-established at the youth level that brings a lot of players up and, and you have some pretty, you're picking from a pretty good talent pool. So talk about your yeah. difference of starting off at Melrose. Sure. Um, coming into Melrose, you know, they, they had, they had one team, uh, I think like two years before I took over lost in the D2 North semis, you know, they knew how to win. They had skilled players. Uh, I knew the team was good, but they just, they couldn't get over the hump. They had yet to win the Middlesex freedom. And, and I used to like scratch my head and say, how is that team, you know, they're so good yet. They just can't get over the hump. They can't get the things that they need to get accomplished. Um, It was, it wasn't me. I mean, I just had great players and I think I put them in positions to succeed, but I'll never forget. Like after the first, you know, three days we had our tryout when we picked the varsity team and then I meet with the team and here I am, this new coach, they don't know me from a hole in the wall. And I basically throw the gauntlet down and tell them that, we are 100% winning the Middlesex freedom and that's non-negotiable. Um, and if you don't think you're capable of accomplishing that, like I won't think any less of you if you walk out the door and they were just like, Whoa, like no one's ever kind of, you know, hit us with expectations like that and held us that accountable to things. And, you know, we worked together. We came up with team goals. We, we did, I'm a very, uh, player forward coach. I give every girl in my program a voice. Um, So you could be a freshman, you could be a senior, I don't care. You got something to say, we want to hear it. And we're going to value what you have to say. So by giving them, you know, that ownership element of it, I think that really helped us to get over the edge. So they understood, you know, here I am, I'm not only super invested in them, but I'm making sure that they're invested in each other and they care about the girl to their left and the girl to their right. And they're going to hold each other accountable and they're going to make sure that, you know, no one's cheating in sprints to slacking off. Or if they say they did, you know, an hour to wall ball, they're really doing it. And that's the only way you get better. You get everybody, you know, invested in each other. So then if you let someone down, you're not letting one person down, you're letting 15, 20 people down. And you don't want to let those people down. You want to do all you can because you don't want to be the weak link in that chain. You want to make sure you're pulling your weight. And I instilled that in them from day one and we've had tremendous success. And I think that's great. You know, you have to always go into something setting expectations high, because if you go in and set them okay or set expectations low, you're now putting your program behind because you're allowing them to say it's okay to be mediocre, right? And, and you don't want to instill that early on. So, you know, here, here's, here's what I'm, where I'm at with it and, and talking to you about this is that as you were talking, it just made me think. And, and I think to myself, so you can start off that way day one and, and ready the role and, and, and set the expectations or set the bar really high. My question is, is how did you respond that year? What was the outcome of that first season? Uh, we put the first ever girls across banner in the gym in Melrose High School. We won the Middlesex Freedom. We didn't lose a Freedom game. Uh, we made the tournament. 
unfortunately we drew uh marblehead i believe in in the tournament that's a death sentence um but yeah we we won we had a lot of success i i will never forget the first game ever i coached in melrose we played linfield it was pouring rain uh it was a back and forth game and then we went down two goals and then we took our third fourth and fifth yellow card penalties of the day so we were playing 11 on nine we were down two girls they had a two girl advantage on us wow i had a girl basically put the team on her back and score three shorthanded goals uh to put us up and we ended up winning the game i think it was 10 to 9 it was either 10 9 or 11 10 but this girl just was like not today you know, we work too hard for this. I'm not going to suffer through another season of almost getting there. Yeah, and yeah. To, to see a, a kid do that, I was like, we're going to be just fine when you have, and she was a junior at the time. When you, when you see leadership like that, you're like, yep, I made the right decision. This is the place I need to be. Yeah. And I think, you know, where I was like, oh, this is where I'm at with it. You know, it's just that when you set expectations to a point these kids respond. Kids are resilient and kids that are dedicating themselves at the youth level at that age and playing in tournaments all over the state and maybe all over New England weekend after weekend after weekend, they have expectations for themselves and they want to succeed. So I think finding that, that mix of coaching style. Now, staying on your coaching style, how much did your coaching style over these last few years change, say, versus your, your tenure in Medford? What would you say is the biggest difference in your coaching style now after the last few years? Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot that I changed. Um, Cause you learn from your mistakes. You, you do things wrong and you say, okay, I won't do that again. Um, I really empower the players and I hold them to such high expectations and it's, you know, it's team wide. They know they hold each other to the expectations but I set the bar high and I basically dare them to achieve it. You know, there's no reason why they can't achieve it. Like you said, we have kids that play club lacrosse, you know, so they're playing three, four, five tournaments in the summer. They're playing all winter. So you're used to playing at this high level. Why can't you do it for, you know, your hometown team? And now you have the kids that don't play club lacrosse, but they're like, you know what? I'm a pretty good athlete. I may not be able to do what she can do, but I can give my 100%. And then it, it just becomes exactly. contagious. And then yeah. every kid wants to do it for the other kid. I, I, it drives me nuts when I hear, you know, students that I have and they, they quit a team because they quote unquote hate the coach. And I always try to grab those kids and pull them in and say, at the end of the day, you're not playing for the coach. You're playing for yourself and you're playing for your teammates. And by you quitting a team, you could be letting a lot of people down. Like, don't even don't even worry about the coach. Think about all the kids, the, the boys or the girls that you play with. And when you put it to them like that and they understand, like, I it is bigger than me, it, you know, especially in the, in the right team situation, it's a true family. And it's the one takeaway that I really is non-negotiable that I foster, that I will never not foster they're moving forward and I learned the hard way in Medford not really doing this as much as I should have and it's that family element um we do the pasta parties and all that but in Melrose I do 
I will have the varsity team over to my house for like fancy dress up dinner. Uh, we try to do that like once a year. We do other things like outside of lacrosse to show them that, yeah, I'm your coach and I'm with you, you know, three hours a day for three and a half months or whatnot. But I'm also really interested in all the things you do. I've had some super talented like musicians come through the program or really smart kids. You go to the play, you know, one of your kids is in the play. You go and see the kid in the play or you go to their music concert. You go to the art show. When kids see you in a situation different than they're used to, like not as your coach, but now you're there just as someone who like cares about them and takes an interest in the stuff that they do. Those are the things that help you to build cachet. And then as a coach, kids will buy into you. They'll, they'll start like trusting you more and saying, well, this guy really cares about me. So if he's telling me to do X, Y, and Z, it's not because he's just being a jerk. It's because he's trying to get me better. He's trying to push me not only as a player, but as, you know, as a person. Because at the end of the day, winning's great. I mean, losing's terrible. Winning's great. But what are we doing as coaches? You're trying to be a positive role model. You're trying to show them right from wrong and, and help them through situations they're going to go through in their life. You know, losing stinks, but losing is a necessary evil because in losing you discover who you are and it helps you to cope with situations you're going to deal with in your life. So winning's easy, you know, losing, losing is what really requires you to put the time and the effort in to, to bounce back and to learn from it. Yeah. And, and that's the whole mental toughness aspect of everything, right? It's, you know, the fact that you, you want to have success, but sometimes in having success, you need to have setbacks, you need to have losses. And it's like what you said, you learn more about yourself as a person and you learn more about yourself as a teammate and you learn more as yourself as a coach of how are we going to bounce back? And lacrosse is probably one of those games, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with the football world. We have a week to bounce back in, in the world of girls lacrosse. It might be a day and you got to bounce back or two days yeah like so it's it's a pretty right it's a quick bounce back it's a quick memory and you got to have a great practice in between there so you know it truly is like you said like getting them to buy into the whole family program and that's every coach I've had on here Matt and they've all had their great successes like yourself is they preach family but they mean it they back it up they're there for the kids outside of the game outside of the events they're there for them at like you said dance recitals or um other sports that they might play or you know if they're a musician playing at a a, you know whatever music festival whatever it is right that you're there for them and that means a lot and that's how i always based my coaching and that's how i was coached so you know i look at that as I would, I'm an educator like you. I'm, I'm invested in my students. I'm invested in my players. I'm invested in their lives. And that's, that's great to hear because now I'm going to kind of jump into the big reason why you jumped to Melrose, right? And the whole idea of preaching family and, <laughs> and, and making your program a family is you have the opportunity to coach your daughters. I know they're a couple of years apart, but you now have the opportunity to coach these girls that you were coaching when they were younger and really teach them the game. And now kind of bringing it to the next level is dad slash head coach. Talk about that. Yeah, it's, um, it's great. Like I'm truly blessed in that regard that, you know, I've coached them since they were in kindergarten all the way through. And, you know, uh, I haven't had a chance to coach Sophia yet in high school setting because of COVID, but, you know, coaching Olivia, um, her freshman year, it was awesome. Um, 
it's just it's so rewarding when you get to coach your own kid and the thing i view you know with that whole family thing you know every year i have like 20 um and there's actually a running joke with a player that just graduated this girl uh jenna thor she's a sweetheart she's the third daughter um because she just like hit off with my kids and it's really bonded and but to, to coach your own kids, um, it, it's it's so rewarding, but it's also so tough because I hold them probably to a higher standard than I hold other team. And sometimes they don't get it. And you're going to have to remind them that there's people out there, you know, on your team or on the sidelines. And the best advice I can give any coach, don't pay attention to anyone on the periphery of the game, but people on the sidelines and they see you and they're like, they're like, Hey, you know why that girl's on the team? Cause her father's the coach. And, and that's not true. Like my kids are going to earn everything they get. I'm not going to give preferential treatment just cause it's my daughter. Um, I tell them both when you're leaving the locker room, heading out to practice, you better be carrying a bucket of balls. You better be carrying an agility ladder some of the equipment we're using because if i ever see you without it then we're going to have a problem and you know they kind of get it they understand like okay people look at me different and i don't want to give anybody ammunition to take a shot at me you know olivia could be like well i carry this i do this i yeah i pull my weight around here plus i never complain i'm always staying late i'm doing whatever so nobody can say well the only reason you're here is because you know coach belushi is your father Right. The flip side on that, when you lose and when your kid is kind of directly or indirectly responsible for contributing to that loss, that's when you have those, those tough conversations. And there's times I got to remind myself, like, at the end of the day, yeah, I'm the coach, but first and foremost, I'm the dad. And, and you got to be that supporting, like, I get it, I understand guy. Um, you can't be too harsh because you don't ever want to break anyone. You don't want to break their spirit. You don't want to, you know, tear them down, but you can ask Olivia. Um, we've had a few car rides home where, you know, she's like, I want you to be honest. And I'm like, do you really want me to be honest? Cause I will. <laughs> yeah. you know? And and to her credit, like she'll take it. She gets it. Um, and, and she bounces back, you know, haven't again, haven't had those, those conversations really, the high school level yet with Sophia. So I'm sure that'll be an adventure. Yeah. And, and so, all right, you're, you're, you're now taking off, you're running a great successful program. You're, you have high expectations, you're coaching your daughters, but I got to ask you losing last season to COVID-19 and I haven't had the opportunity to talk to too many coaches that that affected, but let's talk about it at the lacrosse level. Um, you lose a season. So now you lose a whole year. And obviously there's a lot of restrictions as far as what club sports could probably do in the spring and the summer leading into the fall. How do you go about coaching your team now that you lost a season? You don't not, you know what you kind of have, but you don't really know what you have because these kids are a year older and they're not playing. How do you go about doing that? Like losing that season was so hard on so many levels. Um, a, we had we had a solid team. Uh, we would have been, you know, we would have been good. We would have bounced back from from the year before. I definitely think we would have had a few more wins. 
Um, but B, I had I have so many like younger players that needed that year of development, even at the JV level, just to to pick up on the speed of the game and to to hone their skills. And now that's been taken away from them. I feel terrible for my seniors. They lost their senior year. But I feel the class of, of kids that is so forgotten when we talk about losing this whole season to COVID are the freshmen. If you were a freshman and you only played a spring sport, you lost an entire year of your high school career. So now you're a sophomore. You've never played one second of a high school sport if you play a spring sport. And you know you're going to have a freshman coming in that's going to push you or potentially take a spot away from you because you lost out a year of development. You lost out a year of playing. Um, it's so hard because you, my last vision of so many of these kids is going to be completely different, especially if they played some club or some summer league um, or if they didn't do anything. You know, you could have a player that was good and starting to make those strides and she really didn't do much. She put her hunger stick up in the mudroom and, and looked at it, but didn't really pick it up. So now in her mind, she's coming in, oh, I was this player and I was real close to maybe being a varsity starter or a varsity contributor. And then you see the product coming out there and you're like, well, wait a minute. You know, you losing that year has kind of set you back too. So we're going to have to reassess and reevaluate almost every kid in the program um, and it's hard because like, when is that happening? The one nice thing that I do have going on right now in Melrose, the rec department, uh, myself and the boys coach, Matt James, we put together something with the rec department to do clinics for the youth. So ages seven to like 15, three different time slots on Sunday mornings. I make my team come, he makes his team come. And when it's all over, you know, Matt and I, we're not coaching. We go off on the side and we just talk lacrosse and whatnot. But then we give the kids an opportunity just to throw it around and play catch and, and socialize with each other and do the things that they haven't been able to do to try to rebuild that chemistry that so many of them have had. I have so many girls that the only time they'll see each other is on the lacrosse field. You know, they play differing sports. So they're not together in the fall. They're not together in the winter. Yet they come together, you know, in the spring and, and they have lacrosse. And now we've taken a year of that bonding and that family time away from them. So we definitely have our work cut out for us to to get back to where we need to be. Yeah, you know, and, and, and I think that that's just like you hit the nail on the head. Like the it's awful for the seniors to miss out in the senior season, especially where you work and get to that point. But from a program perspective, it's essentially having a freshman and a sophomore class that are really freshmen. And you're yeah, kind of a year 100%. behind and, and, and everyone faces that problem, right? It's not just like you specifically, but for a program that is, you know, pumping players at the, at the rate that you guys are from the youth level, it absolutely is when you're trying to put a team that's competing every single year, year in and year out together. Now, as a, as a coach, like I know in football off season for us, there's not a lot of like club sports for football. There's some seven on sevens indoor and outdoor, but there's not a lot. Um, I know for you, there's, there's year round, there's, you know, probably indoors, there's outdoors, there's tournaments, there's everything else that's going on. How much do you stress to your players that you want them to consistently play year round the same sport? Or do you kind of stress to your plays? Listen, I just want you to be competitive, play sports for your high school, play club if you want to play club 
Um, but I, I just want you competing. Like what's your thought process of how you tell your players to spend their off seasons? Yeah. So great question. Um, I want them doing something. They don't have to play the cross. Like you said, I want them competing. I want them keeping those, that, that level of competition sharp in them, you know, striving to get better, striving to win, striving to be the best they can be. But then in losing, learning from losses and, and getting better as a person. But they don't have to play lacrosse. I have a lot of kids that play club, and, and we're blessed in that regard because that's year-round lacrosse. And a lot of these club programs now are just so high level, really, like top-notch programs. But I get a lot of kids that play soccer and volleyball and then basketball, hockey. I get kids that dance, do gymnastics. As long as they're doing something, that's fine with me. And even the kids that aren't doing anything, quote-unquote, like organized or whatnot, a lot of them are like, well, coach, can you give me a workout program or can you put me in touch with someone, you know, because I want to go to the gym three days a week and I want to run and I want to lift and I want to get stronger. And I think that was the thing, too, that kind of blew their mind a little in Melrose. We get them in the weight room and we would lift and they were like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, we're going to do all kinds of stuff. We're going to get bigger. We're going to get stronger. We're going to get faster. Yeah. And you know, some of the kids are like, this is awesome. I want to be in there every day. And you're like, this is great. And, you know, that's that's going to get you to be better. So those are the kids in the off season. They just become total gym rats. One of my captains that just graduated didn't get to play. Um, she is an absolute gym rat, like deadlifting crazy weight and, and just doing all these hang cleans. And, and I love it. And she would get the girls, she would just tell them, you don't have a choice. You're coming to the gym with me. We're working out, you know, in the off season, do these crazy workouts and all this stuff. And they loved it. And so, yeah, as long as they're doing something, I'm okay with that. In yeah. a perfect world, they're all playing club and just really sharpening the saw and getting as good as they can be. Yeah. And I think, you know, I always find that so interesting in other high school sports, because again, the world that I'm from in football, there's not much more you can do. Like I said, there's some seven on sevens, but you know, seven on sevens when it gets cold outside and the tougher months and you got to be able to pound the rock and take a hit and be physical, you know? So there is that other aspect that you wish you could like hone your craft, like you said, a lot more in football. Um, but I'll ask you this what what is your expectation going into this year i mean from what you know do you do you feel like you have a pretty good team coming in do you feel like you have a lot more question marks than you've ever had like what is your thought about the team that you do have coming in i think at essential core positions i think we're going to be we're going to be good solid goalkeeper um i got some girls who can score uh i have the four-year varsity player at, at defense who um, her freshman year, one of the captains who was a, a stud defender tore her ACL two weeks into the season. And this girl stepped in and never looked back. So she anchors down the defense. Um, midfield, we're good. I wish we were a little deeper, but again, it, that could change you because could, right? I, I, I'm kind of going blind with some of it. Uh, I know I have a couple younger players who have started to take the steps to that next level um, and losing their freshman year is probably going to hurt them. But I know a couple of them are playing club. So there's like high expectations on that. 
Um, actually, you know what? I have I have more than one stud. I I have two stud defenders. Come to think of it, I was totally forgetting about uh, about Lizzie Casey, who's uh, another uh, really good defender. I, I think we're gonna be good. Um, but again, you know, I'm rose-colored glasses. Anyway, I always think we're gonna be good um, because in my mind, you know. I know what I want them to achieve. And now it's like getting them to achieve it because it's never really a question of skill. We definitely have skill and it's a question of harnessing that skill and getting them to, to give a hundred percent all the time and to really, you know, dedicate three months of their life. It was my biggest problem in my younger years of coaching springtime rolls around. And for some reason, a lot of these spring athletes are like, nah, whatever. It's the spring school's almost over. No big deal. You know, you got to dedicate yourself to give those three months, those three plus months, and, and really just do all you can. The unfortunate thing about this season, um, we'll never truly know how good we could be because there's no tournament. We're just playing. The only thing we're playing for is another banner on the wall in that gym because wow. I think we're only playing Middlesex Freedom Games. I don't even think we're having crossover with the Liberty. So it's. I know my uh, daughter Olivia's playing field hockey right now and it's like home and home. So they were in Stoneham last week and then Stoneham comes here next week. And then you're just going to rotate through the five other teams in the freedom. And I'm pretty sure that's how we're going to do lacrosse. Wow. And I don't know if you looked at the MIA calendar, the spring um, season ends on July 3rd. So that'll be, uh, <laughs> that'll be an interesting one. <laughs> Oh, and, and fall two begins uh, the end of February. So football, golf, cross country, and uh, soccer for the teams playing fall two with a New England winter is going to be very interesting. Yeah, I can't even. I can't even imagine. Um, so you know, Matt, you're you're so invested as a coach, and and I mean what I said earlier. I mean, I think you're one of the best lacrosse coaches in high school sports. Period. Between the way that you you create the programs that you create and get involved in the youth levels and really bring teams together and teams respond to you they like you they know you're in that you're invested in them and I think that the success shows with the banners and the league's championships and you know the state tournament appearances and so on but it comes at a sacrifice right you're spending a lot of time away from home Um, and every coach that I've had on here I ask the same question because I feel like it is a true balancing act of your life and in your other life, and you're living two lives that you're trying to to keep balance at all times. So talk about the sacrifice a little bit you have at the home front in order to build what you sure. want to build. So in Medford, it was it was a big sacrifice. Um, I wouldn't see my kids, you know, until well, I'd see them a couple of days a week um, at like youth lacrosse because I would coach in Medford or run, you know, a game or practice or whatnot, get off that field at like 6.30, fly over to Melrose, get on the field at 7, be on that field till 9.30, 10 o'clock. So in that regard, it was nice because I would see my kids then. But I like, I wish they could have came to more games. Uh, it was just tough. My wife was a teacher at the time um, in Medford, and then the kids were, you know, at my house in Melrose when they were younger and then going to school in Melrose. So by the time you'd get them from after school program and Sue gets out of work. It just, the, the timing didn't work out. So they didn't get to see a ton of Medford stuff. Um, now it, it's, it's great because now I'm, 
you know, with at least one of my daughters and now, you know, hopefully we have spring season, but I'll be with both of my daughters. Um, I'll see them from, you know, two thirty until, uh, whatever, six, whenever, when we're getting off the field. Um, and it's crazy how like the role reversal, because there would be a time when I was coaching and doing all the stuff and I really wouldn't see my wife a ton, you know, because of coaching and everything. And I would see her like at breakfast and then I would see her at, at dinner or like end of the night. Now she's taking a new job. Uh, she's, you know, high up in, in central administration in our district. Oh yeah. And now it's like, now I see her at breakfast and then I see her at like the end of the night. I'm like, it's not even lacrosse season. This is crazy. <laughs> um, so it, it is kind of weird how, you know, things work out like that, but it, it's, it goes back to when we t- talked about like why the decision was so easy for me to go to Melrose, especially I could not imagine coaching in Medford with my kids playing high school across in Melrose and not being able to see their games um, and not being able to see a lot of stuff because, you know, oftentimes the games would overlap. And in that regard, I'm the luckiest guy in the world because I have the best seat in the house for my kids' games. I'm right there, uh, you know, on the sideline, on the field, and, and I couldn't be happier. So, yeah, and I just think it's being... a big commitment. Yeah, <laughs> it's... I mean, you know, you know, from coaching, it's it's tough. And and the the thing that I really tried to work on because I was terrible at it was like bringing that baggage home you have a bad practice, you have a bad game, and then you come home and you're just mad at the world. And the people in your house who love you the most are trying to give you attention. And you're like, rah, rah, rah. you're all mad and, and, and snippy. And you have to learn how to compartmentalize that and just let things go. And, and even like as players, I try to get them to, you know, we'll, we'll lose a bad game and we'll have a quick meeting in the team room after afterwards. And I'm like, listen, I want you to be mad. I want you to go home and I want you to stew about this and I want you to be mad. Then I want you to go to sleep. And when you wake up in the morning, this is gone and we start anew. You can't be dwelling on the past. You can't be like looking at the bad things that happened because that's just going to you know, get us off track. We brought in um, a woman last year to do yoga and mindfulness with the team. We've done book study with the team. Like we literally will read a book and then discuss a chapter a week. Um, usually like a John Gordon book, like some kind of team building type book. The Carpenter is a great example, but I'm always trying to do those, those outside the box, different things with the team just to get them, you know, more family atmosphere, more invested, more understanding that we're playing the game of life here. We're not just playing the game of lacrosse and I'm trying to develop you as, as, you know, fine young women. So, um, being able to develop my own daughters in, in that regard, it's, 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 awesome. it's the cherry. cherry it's priceless. I mean, yeah. it, it's true. It's truthfully, it's priceless. And, you know, I know from coaching over the years of trying to do leadership councils and everything else to try to make these kids invested to, to hear that you do that. You bring people in to, to work with them, to make them look at things a little bit differently, to have them read books and understand perspective differently. I mean, you said it earlier, Matt, but it, it's really about, 
you're investing in the whole kid. You're not investing in just their athletics. You're investing in who they are, how they think, what they want to be. And you're that, you know, I had my first guest on here was Serge Clavio, great high school football coach on the Catholic for all these years, right? The best. And the best thing he said to me on there was just like when he had parents like calling him or saying, hey, I need you to talk to my kid because they'll listen to you more than they're going to listen to me. And I'm sure as a coach, you've experienced that, that there are probably players out there that if coach Galusi tells them to do it, they'll do it. But if mom and dad tell them they got to do that, I'm sure it's a little bit of kicking and screaming. So it's just, it's an amazing thing that, that you're, that you have and that you've built at two different places and you set the goals and expectations and you get to do that with your daughters. I mean, it's like you said, it's a cherry on top. It's perfect. Um, what's your advice to, to young coaches in general? I mean, you started a program, you worked, you, you know, you, you kind of jumped into being a head coach pretty quickly. So, you know, what's your advice to someone who's maybe trying to start up a program somewhere in any sport, not just lacrosse, but just in general, and maybe to an sure. assistant coach who's looking to make that jump. Okay. Um, we'll tackle the first part, starting a program. You have to appreciate the little victories. And it could be something as little as, hey, I had 15 kids at practice today. Like, that's <laughs> awesome. Seriously, something that small. Um, because if you just dwell on the negatives and you expect instant success, you're destined to fail. Um, You have to have a short memory. You have to be willing to, you know, put in the extra hours, do all you can to, to better yourself. And then like the biggest thing, you can't just talk the talk. You have to walk the walk. You have to be that role model. You have to be that example. Like, this is how I want you to do this. And then you're doing it as well. You know, don't be yelling at the team. Hey, nobody's chewing gum on this turf. This is beautiful turf. And then in practice, you get this water bubblicious and they'd be like, really? Like, that's how you lose all credibility. So don't ask them to do things you wouldn't do yourself. Um, invest in the relationships. You know, be that teacher, be that mentor, be that, that positive person in their lives. We have kids, I see it in my teaching career, and, and you see it to some degree in your coaching career. There are kids that the only reason they get up and go to school is because they get to play that sport. They could care less about the school, but they are so invested in that sport and that is everything to them. And you need to understand the impact that you can have on these kids. Watch your words, watch the way you say things to people. You could, you could throw out a comment in passing and you don't realize that kid internalizes that You don't know they have a terrible home life, something bad going on. And they think like you're their one salvation and you kind of lay into them. And now they're like, I have nothing. You know, you don't know every individual situation. So take the time to get to know your kids. It's not just about the sport. Get to know them as a person. What do they like? What don't they like? We play all kinds of stupid games with my team. Um, we do this thing called identity. We do it for like bus rides where there's like five little facts you write down about yourself on a card. And only we know who, you know, each card is. And it's always like rando crazy stuff. 
And for the long bus ride, you're like, you bust out a car and you're like, okay, I was once on Wheel of Fortune. You know, I love prunes, like all these crazy things. And then they go nuts. Oh, it's her, it's her. You know, they're always trying to guess each other. Uh, So you need to do things like that. Make it fun. You know, you're there. Think back when you were a kid. You know, I know in my life, sports were always, it was work, but it was fun because the coaches made it enjoyable. Yeah. Nobody wants to get yelled at. They get yelled enough in school. You know, I'm not saying there isn't a time and a place for yelling because there definitely is. But try to really put your players first, see where they're coming from. Know that these kids are bringing more baggage than we ever brought into any sport that we played. The world is just such a crazy place. And with social media and all the other things pulling them in every direction, you know, yeah. you want to be that safe spot for them and, and show them that you really care. Yeah. As far as a coach looking to make the jump, um, the best advice I can give you is be your own person. You look at all of Bill Belichick's assistants that have gone off and tried to do their own thing. And what do they try to do? They try to be Bill Belichick. And for the most part, they don't succeed. Why? Because there's only one Bill Belichick. You, you need to be, you know, John Smith. You do you. You take elements from the coach that you mentored under and things that you know that work, you do those, but then you put your own personal flair on everything and and be yourself. Be honest. Be authentic. Don't don't lie to your kids. You know, be truthful. Um be patient. It's you could come from an incredible winning program. You know, say you were like an Everett football assistant, and then you go take a head coaching job somewhere. And next thing you know, you go like four and six, they go four and six and Everett, they're jumping off the Tobin bridge. <laughs> like, so things are going to happen. You know, you, you have to just be patient. You have your plan. I always tell everyone you need a one, three and a five year plan. Basically like what you're changing immediately, what you're slowly phasing in and then what your long-term goals are. And don't be afraid to revisit that plan. Look at it from time to time. See if you're on track. See where you need to make changes. Seek out other coaches. Uh, I know the lacrosse community is, is super tight, and I've had coaches call me just to, you know, kick it around, the advice. I get this problem. I get this going on. I've done it myself. I've grabbed other coaches. I've called coaches. Hey, I'm dealing with this. Can you give me some advice? How would you handle it? resources, but hey we're losing you a little bit matt we're losing you a little bit there did you freeze no you're good i can hear you now oh there you go you're there you're there listen this is the world of 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 technology man. i got a great great picture of you (laughs) it's the world of technology you know it's gonna happen uh, what do they call it the new normal the new normal yeah it it happens in my class every day 10 times a day so i get it um but no every we heard everything that you said (laughs) and i think your message is just so strong and listen at the end of the day look at the success you've had right and so your style and your approach and the way that you look at things it, it fits you very well. And, and as a result of it, you've had great success and you brought up, you know, Belichick's assistance. And it's funny, I was actually having that conversation with someone legitimately yesterday. And we were saying, who is the most successful coach that coached under him? And maybe even dating back to Cleveland. So we looked it up. The only coach is the, has them like wins, like a winning Nick percentage. That's, well, not even him is Al grow at nine and seven. So that puts it in perspective for you that he's the only coach wow. that has a winning record 
that that coach on the Belichick before, yeah. at nine and seven. So it's not like yeah, so it's one season. Think of that. That's insane. <laughs> right? But, uh, because they all think like they all think anyone can be Oz the great and terrible. And then you pull the curtain back and it's like, this is a lot harder than I thought. It's way harder. And 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 I know I I've been there and done it both as an assistant and a head coach, and it is a different ball game. But Matt, listen, you are uh, we're so lucky to get you on here. When when I heard that you were interested, I was I was through the roof because as I said to you in the intro at the beginning, I'll say it again. I think you're one of the best lacrosse coaches at the high school level, period, boy or girl. So um, I was really lucky to have you on here. But we got one segment left. I know this is a great segment for you. It's our two minute drill. So I'm basically going to yeah. fire some questions at you. You know, I'll give you a few go seconds no to huddle. explain them. We'll go in no huddle. No huddle here. There's, there's, there's one, you know, there is a booth review on the two minutes, as you know, and I, I do get to hold one if I want to explain something a little bit more. And usually okay. I kind of know what question it's probably going to be just because you, you want that explanation. So I'll give you that platform to do so. Sure. But uh, let me just set the timer here and, uh, and here we go. What would you say was your biggest win as a lacrosse coach in your career? Um. <laughs> It didn't have any like implications tournament wise or, or seating wise, but just from a personal standpoint, it was Metroid versus Peabody. Peabody had just had their way with us for years. We went into Peabody and we beat them by two or three goals. Um, we never trailed in the game. We just controlled the game start to finish. And the girls were like over the moon. And I remember leaving the field. The old before Peabody put in their turf, they had this this grassed in field with this fence. It was like a you felt like you were in like a prison field. It was like this quite the scene. And there was this narrow little path to get out of it. And I'm walking out with the team, and there's a mother in like a Peabody lacrosse jacket standing in the middle of this path, like right in my way. And I was like, this lady gotta move. Like, what's going on? And I get probably a foot or two away from her. And I, this is a direct quote. I'm not even lying. She looks me dead in the eyes and goes, "Ugh, Medford," <laughs> and then just like turns and walks away. And I was like, "Did that really just happen?" But I was like, "Yes, that is awesome because we just totally stole her thunder." Like, yeah, we came in here and beat you, and you can't even deal with it. You have to insult us. So, Medford Peabody, mean... that was a, that was a great win. I mean, that's a phenomenal story. Um, that's someone's parent. Like, think about it. <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> so, so let me ask you this. In lacrosse, would you prefer having a stud goaltender or a stud goal scorer? Uh, I will go with a goaltender because if you have a goalie that stands on her head and, and just makes save after save, it, it just fires your team up. I've seen it happen. I've seen – I've had some good goalies over the years, and I've seen goalies make saves, and you're like, how the hell did she stop that ball? And then you look at your team, and they get, like, this energy from it. And next thing you know, that save turns into a fast break, turns into a goal, and now it's like, okay, and you start to build that momentum. Having goal scorers is definitely important, but if you can have that brick wall, that girl that's going to shut down teams – uh, you can win a lot of lacrosse games. Good. Okay. Two more questions here. I, and, and I'm sure you could give a zillion answers for this question, but I'm just looking for maybe that one. And I'll give you the explanation on this is who's the, who's the toughest coach you've gone against in your tenure at either, either spot, either spot. Um, 
every day in the Middlesex is a tournament game. So every Middlesex coach is no is matter what so sport, hard. man. No matter what uh, sport. it's it's there's no days off. Um, you know, freedom, liberty doesn't matter. There's so many tough coaches. And then I look at like the teams we've played in the tournament. You know, most recently, you know, Marblehead three years in a row. Um, the Marblehead coach is such a skilled coach. But I've been, I've been like blessed to meet so many incredible coaches. I think I'd be doing them a disservice if I, if I picked one over the other. Um, I'll, I'll just say as a group, uh, the coaches I go against in the Middlesex day in and day out, you know, there's, there's no layups, there's no gimmies in there and any win you get in the Middlesex, you earn it. So I'll say uh, I will give the nod to all my my. No, hey, that's that's a fair answer. I think you said Middlesex. I don't care what sport it is: football, hockey, baseball. I mean, those are tough teams that have good feeder programs around, and and they bring it. You're right. Uh, so there's there's no hate on that answer. And my last question to you, and I will give I will booth review this because I know you'll want to be able to explain it. Who's the best lacrosse player you've ever coached? All right, so. There was this girl in Medford. Her name was uh, Jenna Corbett. <laughs> yeah, I heard she was. Um, I heard she was really the big was, reason why you started the program in the in the late nineties. She's the best. That's my Love wife, guys. By the way, Matt Love actually coached my wife. <laughs> she was an absolute riot to coach. Um, I've had so many incredible players throughout the years, and. I don't want to like alienate anybody or offend any of my players. So I'll throw that disclaimer out there, but girls who know this girl will definitely agree with me. I had a girl in Melrose graduated uh, two years ago now um, named uh, Lily Cunningham. She was a twin. Her twin sister, Abby was an incredible player in her own right. But Lily was just, she had like that it factor. You, you know, you've coached. She's one of those kids that, you tell her to run through the brick wall, you know, you say it figuratively and next thing you know, there's a hole in the brick wall and she's on the other side of the street because she literally ran through the wall. Like tough as a $2 stake, could play any position on the field. She's the girl in that story that I told in that Linfield game that put the team on, on her back and just refused to, to have us lose. Scored three shorthanded goals uh, in the span of like two minutes and 12 seconds. Um, Phenomenal player. But again, I've had just in Melrose alone, I've had so many good players in Medford. I've had girls that are in the Mustang hall of fame, um, multi-sport athletes, way too many to list. So, so that I don't offend anyone (laughs) by not listing them. I'm just going to go, I'm just going to say Lily Cunningham playing for Roger Williams right now. Just uh, absolute stud lacrosse player. Awesome. Well, listen, you survived the two minute drill. Um, just an all around great talk with you, Matt. I mean, I'm, I'm not, wasn't too familiar in the world of, of girls lacrosse, but just, I'm so interested in, in the intrigue of building any program at any sport and to do it at such a successful rate. It's just, it's worth for coaches and players to hear, you know, for, you know, and I hope some of your players listen to this. I really do because 
to see the type of man that they're playing for and understand how much you care for them or past players to hear this, to understand that the type of man that they had looking over them for such a long time, I think is just, it, it's well, it's, it's well seen, it's well heard. And, you know, I'm, as I said, really lucky to have you on here and I would love to have you on during the season and kind of follow you guys. And, you know, I'm definitely going to be following you on the Twitter in the Twitter world and seeing how you guys are doing. And, and I thank you so much for coming on here. Well, I, I thank you. I mean, what you're doing here for, for coaches, giving us a voice and, and, you know, an outlet to tell our story. I think it's, it's so unique and it's, it's awesome. I, I'm, I'm so happy for you. And, and I'm really, I'm, I'm touched that you would think enough to, to have me on again, like your words are far too kind. Um, I, I really, I, I appreciate all that nice sentiment. I really do. Just one thing, like in closing, if I could pass on to, you know, any new coach or any coach in general, um, just remember, you know, the we is more important than me. And the we should always trump the me in your coaching style, in your players, in everything. You need to foster that family. You need to get everybody on board. And as long as you can do so and be somewhat successful at it you will get benefits that go beyond your game you know at the end of the day like you said it's more than a game it's about being a positive role model and it's about shaping young lives and and that's what we do as teachers and that's what we do as coaches so i'm really i'm super thankful that you gave me this opportunity to tell my story yeah absolutely and i, I can't wait to get it out there and and like i said the fall the success that i know you're going to have you know today tomorrow and, and beyond that so from beyond x's and o's uh podcast we, we thank you guys for tuning in and matt thank you for coming on and uh till next time thank you <laughs>